Hello and welcome to Review, the show where we get to talk to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew and this is episode 40. I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Ford, who is a writer, tinkerer and TV chappy. Welcome to Review, Tom. I'd like to start off by asking, what do you like to be known by? Known by? Everyone calls me Wookie. Okay. Uh, Not that Tom Ford, hashtag. <laughs> yeah, came up because there's another Tom Ford, apparently, who's very, very uh, uh, wild on the internet, who happens to be a designer, very rich, quite gay, and uh, extremely talented. That's not me. <laughs> I'm not a But if somebody asks, what do you do? Which, what do you say you do? Or does it depend on who you're talking to? I'm a writer. Okay. I'm a writer. I was born to be a writer. So I love writing. I, the only reason I write about cars is because the three things I love most in the world are cars, writing and travel and then I had a moment when I was living in France running a ski chalet and thought there's a job that does all of those things and it's a writer so I ended up going and um, and working making tea at car magazine years and years ago and then worked on my way up and that's why I do what I do but yeah I do telly because it's uh, easy because I'm a massive show off <laughs> and uh, they pay me to show off with cars so, that, yeah, I do, I'm a writer, though. I, my mum tells people I'm an author. That's not true. <laughs> I might one day, but I'm not yet. I think she just thinks it sounds more respectable. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a writer. I write about cars um, and a bit of tech and a bit of travel. But, yeah, mainly I write about cars. Right. Well, talking of uh, your parents and stuff, so do they remember or do you remember when you first got into cars? Uh, the, the weird thing is, like like a lot of us, my dad was well into cars when uh, I was growing up, and he was a big BMW guy. Mm -hmm. I remember having some quite serious bits of kit knocking around. You know, he had a 635 CSI Highline 635 BMW in champagne goldy colour. And uh, that was the first car I ever just sort of was in and just thought, this is, this is a good thing. <laughs> I don't know what it is about it, but this is a good thing. <laughs> And then we had like 530 Sports and um, se Load 7 Series and all that kind of stuff. And I really, I just, because my dad was into it, you know, when you, you, you sort of adopt your parental position, don't you? So yeah. my dad was really into stuff. He really wanted an RS Cosworth, but then the bloke down the road got one. And then he didn't want it anymore. Because, <laughs> and it was common. Um, <laughs> They're everywhere now. <laughs> everywhere. There's another one. So therefore, we're not having one. Um, Cozzies, you know, that's my era, is that kind of stuff. And we had RS turbos and Golf GTIs and, you know, Mark II big bumpers and all that. My mum had those because my dad wanted carry cars, but he, he needed something a bit more big and flash. Then he went into Land Rover, so my dad had loads of discoveries, really early discoveries. But mm -hmm. So my dad was the person that was propping up the V8 discovery line for, for, for a good two or three years. <laughs> one after the other. But yeah, parents, parents, and I'm a bit of a techie. I like I like tech stuff, and cars have pretty much everything in them, mm. and they always change, so it keeps you interested. But we all know if we're all you know we're all gearheads. We all know why we're into cars. <laughs> yeah. So this um, obviously followed through in school and stuff. And um, were you um, the cliche of in the corner scribbling mad car designs that perhaps you'll bring out a few years later and make projects of, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> or were you... Yes, no. 
uh, yeah, I was. I'm not a subtle person, so I was always driving, you know, drawing monster trucks, and that hap- that's why I ended up with my first cars because the nearest I could get to big stuff was Land Rovers. Mm. So my first car was a two A um, short wheelbase, an eighty eight inch um, uh, Land Rover, and two and a quarter diesel. And then I, uh, I changed the engine in that as the first thing I ever did, and it blew up and uh, burnt my parents' drive to pieces. That was quite a good good score for your first one. Then my second car, <laughs> three, again, but that was two and a quarter petrol, so it was a lot easier. Um, and then I then I went a bit mad and I started to change my car every when I was sort of I don't know eight, you know when you're eighteen or nineteen you get bored easily. Yeah. I used to just change cars all the time, so I had I had about twenty or thirty different cars. I just used to change them every other couple of months. So I've had all sorts of things, but all old crap, nothing, nothing. <laughs> I think the most nice. sophisticated thing I had was a 12-valve engine in a Nissan Sunny because it was a G-Reg, and that was quite new. Ooh, showing off. <laughs> oh, I got all the women with that one. <laughs> no, so I, did you go off to uni after school? I did. I did a philosophy degree. Okay. Can't any of it. Um, but I was, in a, I was in a kind of a theatre and circus act called Kiss My Axe for a long time. So while most people were doing university stuff i was on tour whilst at university so i'd sort of come back do school then be on tour then come back and then that all went a bit mad so i just i just did that for a long time so it was a weird weird existence but uh, it seemed to suit me i don't know it's not that i've any lasting damage that i'm aware of but then again i could have been really clever (laughs) (laughs) when you finished uni how long after university was it before you got into your first car you know making tea at car well i went i went and lived in in france for a little while and lived up a mountain which is where wookie comes from because uh, okay. i i used to be big and fat and very hairy and people i ended up just being called wookie and then i came back and did a, a, a postgrad degree in periodical journalism and while everyone on that course was like i want to be a journalist and they didn't really know what kind of journalist they wanted to be you know the they didn't know whether they wanted to do newspapers or magazines or what. I knew very specifically that I was going to be a car journalist. So I was very targeted in what I wanted to do. And everyone was a bit sniffy about it on the course because they were all ex-newspaper uh, men. Mm-hmm. And generally men, weirdly. But they, um, they were all a bit sniffy about wanting to be a car writer. But I went and did a work experience at Top Gear, Okay. weirdly. And then a job came up when I was coming to the end of my work experience. And they refused to give me the job because they said I was too mental. <laughs> they were the words of Kevin Blick, apparently, who was the editor. Um, I was a bit too mad for Top Gear. So I. <laughs> so did you have that on a t shirt? Yeah. I couldn't get a job here because I was. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm too stupid. Um, and then I went, I tried to get jobs all over the place. Can you remember Fast Car? Yep. All of those kind of tuna mags, because you know I, that's where I thought you'd start. Is one of those not they're not lower end, but more niche. More niche. I thought I'd start in the niche press and then work my way up. And then Greg Fountain, basically, it's his fault. I am his fault. <laughs> he, he needed someone when the internet was starting. This is how old I am. They had no online resource for all their road tests. So he employed me to get the magazines and literally type them out onto the internet and take out all the time reference. 
So I just I'd lightly edit and type them, and I just did that for months and made tea. And whenever anybody didn't want to drive a car because they thought it was a bit crap, I'd do it. Whenever a car needed taken somewhere, I'd do it. Whenever a car needed taken to the south of France, I'd do it. Weekend work, whatever. It was just so that I could drive cars and get experience. And at the time, car had a load of people in there who were literally the best in the business. There was Paul Horrell, Hilton Holloway, Greg Fountain, Paul Gregory, Mike Duff. You know, that office was a real hotbed of talent. Um, and you just sit there and listen. Were you just trying to soak up as much as possible? Did you, did you know that they were good at the time? Yeah. yeah. I've been reading. I'd been, obviously, I've been reading them for years. You know, there were, Mark Walton was on the staff. You'd got, you, were, you were still getting LJK. You know, there was a lot of people who... They kind of become slightly legendary now, but at the time, I just thought were brilliant at what they did. But the office conversations were awesome because yeah. these people seemed to have this depth of knowledge that I just was like, I'll never be like them because they've <laughs> all this weird... They know everything. I know. <laughs> and... Uh, Thing. I'm never going to be this geeky. Um, but they, they, I started doing stuff for them. And then I realized quite early on that some of the fun stuff was ideas, is coming up with stuff and coming up with ways of treating cars that other people don't do. Anyone can learn how to road test. It's not that difficult. Um, but putting someone in a place and giving them an experience through your words, mm. that's quite difficult. Yeah. So, or it's difficult to do well, and I started to concentrate on doing adventure stuff. So I, I ended up being the road test editor, and then um, started doing fifth gear, I think, around that kind of time, which was just, I, I went into a party, and one of the producers was there, and I said, I could be a TV presenter, and he went, go on, man. <laughs> it's something there, and then went to, to, a week later, I went to a, I went to a, like a, an open audition, and then the week after that, I was on fifth gear. Yeah. <laughs> happened there i did that <laughs> years yeah but well, that's, what, that's I, where i first came across you is, is is on that and i and i did like the f- having because i'm old i'm older than you um and i, How I old are you? i'm north of 40 well, so am i but i think i'm a bit norther than you only I'm a year or two only a year or two but, i'm 41 oh uh, uh, yeah i'm older than you my wife says I'm 61. That's not true. And if, it, if I am 61, damn, I look good. <laughs> you slept a lot. <laughs> most, most of my 20s are back. <laughs> no, it was, I mean, it's been a bit of a ride. I think one of the big things that I've always done is I'm, I'm very good at saying yes. So, I've Too good, perhaps, risk. sometimes? Maybe, now and again. Um, I, I think you've got to take your, take your chances hmm. and have a crack at stuff. And if you're going to do it, do it. Don't half-ass things. I suppose you will never know either unless you try it. No. I'd rather regret something I had a go at mm. than regret not trying. And it's been, it's it served me pretty well. I mean, the thing is when you, you do get offered an awful lot of stuff to do, especially if you've been on the telly a little bit, people offer you all sorts of stuff. And you know whether it's right or wrong. You know whether it's a good opportunity or not. But when the good stuff comes, say yes and do it. And don't be afraid of a bit of hard work either. Mm. You know, people want the work experiences we keep having at the Top Gear, or they were when I was full time in the office. Seem to want to turn up and drive Lamborghinis, and it's like, no, yeah. you don't get to you don't, you don't get to play with that sort of stuff until you've served your time. It's like any other job; you've got to do your yeah. apprenticeship before you get to play with the big stuff. 
plus I want to play the big stuff. Yes, and I have access to the keys. <laughs> I'm older than you, and, all that, and nastier. And no, you can't play with it. Like, you can look at it. Yes. No, but that, but I think that is a is a point, and um, that's something that's definite with online stuff as well. That people, there is, uh, I can see you can see it if you go on Twitter. You can see a few PR uh, types that will go. Just because you've got a Drive Tribe or you've got a you've just started a blog does not mean I can loan you this X supercar. That does not entitle you to it, you know. Mm. And and you can you can sense the frustration coming from these people. Because, oh, you know, it's so expensive for them to loan out a car. And it, it's a business. At the end of the day, this is a business. So this is what I think some people forget. It's a business. And they have to justify why they are doing an action. Yes. Uh, and think, particularly if how, it's money. How much does it cost to lend out a car? It's about 1100 quid, I think. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard that figure um, thrown around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, depending on the car, like, but yeah. It's and and at the end of that, they need something that's they feel it justifies that investment because it is an investment. And you know, if if you've just started a free WordPress WordPress site, you can't turn around and go, "Well, give us a car because you know I deserve it." Well, hang on, what what makes you different from all these over here? <laughs> Let alone you know before established journalists and the the, the press and that sort of thing. Well, the interesting thing is that you can buy you can buy a following. Yeah, but they spot that. Bush thing. Well, they think they can spot it, but you know the thing with buying a following is it creates an organic following. Because if you buy three million followers, then people will start following you because they think you're legit. Hmm. It, that there's a, I mean, there's so many complications with all the vloggers and stuff. I mean, I love some of the vloggers, and then I watch some of the other stuff, and it's just like, well, words fail me. And it's like when they're describing a car, it's like, well, really, that's what you. We're here to see is the word not fail you. Yeah, well, you five things. Absolutely, and Alan and I really agonise over the stuff, the, the the car reviews that we do, and when we're describing something, because we go, well, hang on, we need to give out exactly what it is. We we need to be we need to be explaining this in a way that means something to someone watching it or listening to it. Otherwise, it's wasted everybody's time. It's wasted our time for sitting there and talking about it. It's wasted the manufacturers for giving us the car. What? Why? Why would they want to come and listen to what we have to say? Um, so you know, we really do worry about that. And but as you say, you can go on and watch some uh, videos, and you just sort of go, "You're not respecting people by doing that. Mm. You're not I respecting mean, who's giving you the car." Them. It's like there is a there is a, a balancing act. I've had a lot of discussions about this lately. There's been a lot of talk about it, hasn't there? Yeah, there has been on Twitter. There's been yeah, the, amongst a few other more contentious <laughs> issues, but this one yeah well, definitely yeah. came up. It's an interesting one because I'm paid by a third party. You know, I'm paid by a third party to review stuff. Mm. So I'm not. If if you don't want to give me a car, that's fine. I'll be given I'll be given cars all day long. And the fact that it's ubiquity is is the key. Because I'm not worried about going on the next launch. If I if I you know slag a car off, I'm still gonna somebody from Top Gear is still gonna go on the next launch. Mm. So therefore, I don't have to worry about pressure from advertisers. I don't have to worry about getting my next car. I will be the cars will come whatever happens. And yeah. people have me three or four times from launches for saying nasty things. And then you find the next car they've got, I'm still invited. Because but they, but, that, but that's a that's an interesting point. Is it a nasty thing or is it just something they didn't want to hear? 
is what they didn't want to hear. I mean, yeah. famous because uh, I, I, I mean, I've read your your stuff, and it doesn't come across that you're making things up. Because if you were, you wouldn't be in the no. business. So, uh, I I sometimes sit there on the outside and sort of go, yeah, you can't really get too hacked off with someone for pointing out a flaw in your vehicle that is incredibly expensive. You know, even if you're going at the bottom end of the market, it's still cr- incredibly expensive. So people have to know if there is a flaw. Yourself. That's that's the key. Justify yourself. If yeah. what you're saying is is even an opinion, if that's correct, then you're fine. Mm. If it's just if it's just you wanting to slap because you subjectively you don't like it, then you're on stony ground. You know, I've I've I said the one so I went and they wouldn't let journalists drive the 177 Aston. So I got a guy in, uh, or Charlie Turner did. We, we sort of got this guy in, in by to buy us one. <laughs> uh, went and drove it, and it, the gearbox was rubbish. And it, it was a 1.5 million pound car, and the gearbox was rubbish. And they knew it, and that's why they didn't want journalists to drive it. And I said it was a lovely looking thing, and it was really nice to drive, but the gearbox was <laughs> And they went mental. And mm. never drive an Aston Martin again. Well, that's not true. Yeah. You know, but you've got to, I could prove it. Yeah. I could prove that that gearbox wasn't very good. Yeah. And it, you know, and it's not as though you've got, um, it's not as though you're coming from a, a point where you're trying to, you've got an agenda or anything. You're just trying yeah. to report on stuff. So I'm not going to buy know. one. <laughs> I'm not going the price down so I can have a couple on my drive. <laughs> <laughs> one for the week, one for Sunday best. <laughs> Keep the clean. There's a clean one. <laughs> Moving away from them because there's the, the internet can get angry enough for that. So as you say, <laughs> <laughs> so you said that you were born to write. What is it that you enjoy about writing? Then I just love the process. I, I really like trying to get trying to convey what I'm thinking and feeling onto a page. A lot of it's tied up with. I work with some of the best photographers in the world and doing justice to their pictures on especially on adventures is really cool it's like writing a little book and i there's nothing like getting a magazine to post and cracking it open and it's smelling of new ink and all those kind of things i just i'm a bit of an old timer like that i love all that stuff mm. and when i've finished a piece and i think it's good i really love i'm really proud of it you know doing telly is very transient like when your words are down they're they're there forever and I've, I've had some really lovely sort of messages. I had a message from a guy the other week who said he, um, he had a brain injury and reading my um, writing helped him get his brain back in order, basically. Helped him sort out how he was going through his recovery. And wow. it helped him again. And I was like, cool, don't care. The whole, whole career just justified back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got grit in my eye. No, no you're crying. <laughs> It was really good. But wow. that's it. I'm just writing, but I've always written. So I'm, I'm sort of halfway through two books. <laughs> I have time. I'm going off on tangents. They're going to be. They're going to be like War and Peace by the time they're finished. <laughs> It'll be about sixty years. <laughs> but uh, so, who do you um, writing-wise? Who do you admire? Doesn't necessarily. I'm not necessarily talking journalists, but I mean just writing full stop. I. I mean, I. I read an awful lot of science fiction. Weirdly. No, not not too weirdly. Science fiction and fantasy, because my brain is obviously uh, my brain works quite hard, uh, and it's always seeming a bit overheated. So I like reading. Um, that's just well written fantasy. Mm. It's just, that's what I really like reading. So, 
but I read a lot of it. It's uh, it's I go through books and kind of how thick they are. <laughs> this will do this next adventure. <laughs> I really like, I know I really like modern writers who are chatty and you know who can express things in a way that you understand. If you're using massive words that you have to stop and look up, you're doing it wrong. So simple is better. Simple is better. Cull it all back and make people go, God, that's a really nice phrase. Mm. You know, that's something that if you can make people go, oh, I like that. I like it when people make me jealous of their, uh, of their ability to write. That's what I like. So when you're doing your writing, do you, how many times do you edit? Are you having to? Are you re- writing something down in a first draft? Okay, no, sorry. What is your process then? I'm a an explosive writer, so I'll tend to fanny around and organise the CD collection by alpha, alphabet, do the hoovering, walk around, and then when I sit down to write, generally down, I just do it, uh, and then I'll go back check structure and 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 make sure things are how I want it. But generally, I just write in one go. And then the edit part is to make sure... It's, I, I do the old stuff, you know, knock out the first part, generally. <laughs> Drop the first part and, and you're on. Hmm. It's, I'm, not, um, I'm, not, uh, I'm not one of these guys that goes and makes a lot of notes all the time. I'm quite experiential in my writing, so it tends to be I'll just... I'm chatting, so I'll talk when I write. And that generally comes out in one conversation. Yeah. No, I mean that. That's. Um, I mean that is the how I I would describe your style. I mean, I was thinking particularly uh, your MX Five trip and um, the one with the vulture-sized mosquitoes, uh, and the the one where you met Nir Khan, who was actually the first oh, guest yeah. on this show. Well, we so. met on Twitter. Yes. That was the that was the weirdest weirdest thing ever. Like I thought he was a bull. No, but he's <laughs> he's such a cool guy. Such a nice guy. Uh, we had we had him actually on. We did a, a round table with some di- designers a couple of weeks ago, yeah, just talking so, about general things. And he's such a great guy. But you see, he's he's like an inventor. Mm. So Nir does a lot of stuff. He's he's got the car passion, but he's also like a mad inventor. So if you talk to him about material science and all the gadgety weird stuff, and get really dig deep into it, he's got an opinion on loads of different things. And he is really really interesting to talk to. We drove across the across the uh, the Najeb desert yeah. in one of his armored cars. Yeah, wicked. I know. Great. Awesome. But yeah, you're right though, because you, 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 um, what I got from that, um, I, I knew near via Twitter as well. Obviously, <laughs> I mean, never been out there, and I wasn't in his design class. What comes clear in the writing is that yes, he went to design school, but he really knows about the other stuff. Yeah, that's that's the whole point. He's just he's just clever at all that kind of stuff. He rolls it all together. But you know, with all that stuff, when people said, "Oh, it doesn't matter what it looks like," and he was like. Well, why yeah. can't we make it look cool then? That's the kind of thinking you need. You know, it it should just be a box, a very strong steel box. But he went, yeah, but it could be a, it could be cool though. And I loved that. And we went out and we looked at how they made them, and we've discussed how you can make various other things. <laughs> I'm not sure what just we're things. supposed to talk about. So, where do you come up with these ideas for your? road trips or going off to see people dr- or is, is it after a particularly long evening in the pub you know <laughs> yeah uh i i'm always on the hunt so consume a lot of media read a lot of mags do a lot of um be, be open read the newspapers look around you you know people say oh there's no adventures left oh my god shut your mouth 
that's not that's not true at all. There's, there's an adventure everywhere. But that's because they're looking down a very narrow channel, isn't it? Yeah, they're looking mm. for the next Delvio Pass, which is rubbish for driving on. Has nobody ever said this? It's, it's full of tourists and the, the beds are too tight. It's no good. It's like... Uh, what I tend to do is I'll find somewhere in the world that I think is amazing, and then you just look around for perhaps a car that you'd like to drive on it. And I'm in the privileged position of being able to say to people, okay, I'd really like to do this. But what I'll do is I'll come up with three pitches of how I do it. I, I do all the logistics. And, some, and most of the time, I don't mm. forget this doesn't work. It, it can require quite a lot of an investment in time to pitch things, to get people interested enough to want to allow you to do them and they don't work an awful lot like that mx5 thing the car needed to be shipped to um alaska and that's just around the corner so that's and fine to fairbanks not that <laughs> far not that close and once you actually investigate it it was 700 dollars as long as you didn't mind it all? taking two weeks so yeah 700 dollars so once you start investigating these things and ringing people up you mm. can find ways around stuff and they prototype car but the prototype because i drove it up the dawson highway which is a trucker's route but the prototype car just had a different um yeah. you know where the dash is the, the the underneath of the dash was the wrong color so the car dynamically was completely it was completely normal apart from it had some interior fittings that were wrong and they were going to crush the car afterwards they, they were willing to let it go and do stuff and don't forget i'd driven mx5s loads so i knew what they were like and um went and did the adventure the car never broke down at all it only came back with a broken windscreen and that's kind of yeah. half the course up there and um they look they loved it because it's an adventure you know people cars are adventurous by their very nature you know road trips are what we all kind of get into cars for and all i do is keep your eyes open that's the deal keep you keep your eyes open and your mind out there and you'll be fine this and i get inspiration for everything i want to do a thing about the a1 just want to drive up the A1, finding all the weird crap on the A1. You know, because it, it, it's amazing. You drive up the A1, it goes from central London to Scotland. You know, it's an amazing bit of road. But you can yeah. make it interesting. It doesn't be boring. So everything's an adventure. Even going to yeah. So um, I want to move a bit onto your tinkering. And uh, oh, I think I've read somewhere that you called it, uh, or it was called Guerrilla Engineering. Ghetto engineering. Ghetto engineering, was it? Sorry, misquote. Making do. It's like wombles. <laughs> like techno wombles. Uh, you basically, you find and you make things work and you just do it. And it's got to be relatively cheap. Um, the only thing I do spend money on is lighting. But uh, You do like a light bar. Like a light bar. Um, but <laughs> for, yeah. all those, for all those raves you organise in the middle of the field, is yeah. it? <laughs> Rave because if anyone looks directly into it, they're blinded. <laughs> the uh, I like doing a bit of. I like playing. I like cars. I just like cars. But the trouble is, the stuff that I get for work, it's so complicated and so specialised, and it's all ODB port first. And no, no, nobody lifts a bonnet anymore. I like to get something that's old. If I break it, it's not going to kill me. Um, they have to do all my cars have to do a job, so. It has to either be extremely good fun or it has to be practical. I've got a Volvo Estate at the minute, which is you've got to try and you've got to try and modify it without breaking it so it doesn't work anymore. That's that's the trick. So uh, obviously that's modded, big tires, um, off-road, big off-road tires, light bars, roof racks, matte black bits, you know, just that stuff. But 
I like having my own cars. I don't like being reliant. I think if you're into cars, you should have one. Yeah. It keeps you grounded. You know how much things cost to tax. You, you know how much servicing is. You've got to put it through an MOT. I'm not a hoarder. So I know, I know journalists with like 10 cars, but I can't see the point in that because you're not going to use them. I'd rather no. two. So then move and then move again, then move again. So where, again, going back to ideas, where do these come from? Is, have you got old exercise books from school and you just reduce the number of rocket launchers off the side now? Don't, Maybe don't, rub them. No, don't you ever just look at a car and go, God, that'd be cool with, with that on it or this on it. You must. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's all we're, we're, we're in a particular corner of the internet, aren't we? We, we are. We're, yeah, we go, yeah, but, go on. But what if you did that a, to that? There's loads of us. And, you know, you sit in the pub with your mates and you go, mm. but a lot of it will be what's on, what turns up. Like most of my cars are bought off mates who are trying to offload them. So it's like, it, not that I take advantage of my mates, but yeah, it will be. <laughs> like the Volvo came off a cameraman who'd found the perfect Five series, uh, old E36 five series touring, and needed to offload the Volvo quickly, so the Volvo came to me, and then I just looked at it and went, mm, a little bit of a lift, big tires, that'll look. You've cool. got the cladding already. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've extra the cladding down the sides. There's more cladding. Oh, we do we do like a bit of cladding and uh, Merchant Podcast. We are fans of cladding. Well, Alan has his very cross, which I mean, you it's struggle to get much more cladding than that. That's perfect. It's the kind of thing I love. The very cross is a weird one though. But I, I want to. Uh, the next thing is I found some um, Babylon snakeskin. So I was going to snakeskin the uh, the the Volvo, but it might be. <laughs> yeah, you're you're possibly on the cusp there. Of uh, but you cool know? or. <laughs> well, you know, woodies, you know, like 40s woodies, yeah. woodies. I used to have a 1980s Pontiac Parisienne station wagon, which I made into a low rider. Um, I'm thinking about a Volvo with snakeskin cladding. <laughs> it might it might work. Just bear with me. We'll get there eventually. Okay. Okay. Uh, what's what Of all the stuff you've fiddled about with them, what's been your favourite project that you've, you've messed with? Uh, my low rider was brilliant. But it was just too extreme. It like I'd, it was a four pump, ten battery, full hydraulic, twenty fours in the back, twelve, fourteens in the front. You know, jump. Uh, you know, it had, it had. I think it had thirty two speakers in it at one point. <laughs> but the, perfect for the trip down the supermarket. Well, the weird thing was, once it got above about six, the speakers all got phase cancellation, so it went silent. <laughs> doing that. And it wouldn't work. Um, so that was great, but the car needed charging all the time. It kept blowing seals. It had knacker solenoids every time you took it out, and it just wasn't useful. And you know what I said about things needing to be useful. Yeah. And it stopped being useful because I couldn't actually even go out and show off in it. So it got it got blown out of the water. But I like. I mean, and, do you know what it is? My current one is always my favourite. Okay. Well, your current one is um, Project Swarm, isn't it? Well, that's on a ship at the minute. That's going to Africa. So, so where did where did you where did you think of that idea? From? Where did that come from? Then to go, go well, could you explain if anyone hasn't seen it? And I will put links in um, the show notes to uh, Top Gear stuff. Swarm, Swarm is. I was spending a lot of time in the desert in America. I was hanging out with guys who had a load of pre-runners. Have you ever seen pre-runners in in the states? They're like no. they're um, you don't know, like Dakar. And, mm. and Baja, they they have gravel cars. You know what gravel cars are in 
yeah. you, that pre-run all the big desert races. They're basically an off-road racer truck that has a full interior. Oh, okay. So I wanted to make a pre-runner and then looked at where I wanted to go, which I want to go to the Namib to drive the world's biggest sand dune. You're not allowed to drive up it, but you can bike up it. So, Mitsubishi said, do you want to do something with one of our trucks? I said, yeah, but it's going to cost you a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, they said, how much money? And I went, I don't know. I'll go and investigate. Hence, you know, a long time trying to sort out how, exactly how much money it costs. Um, found this thing called a Motoped, which is a pedal 125 SAF moped. Who knew that there was an SAF moped? But there is. Um, <laughs> Got the LT100, military suspension, full military suspension by Bill Stein and Super Pro, 37-inch tyres, um, proper off-road tyres, uh, race wheels. Got Ralph Hosier, who I think you should talk to, by the way, because he's hilarious. Uh, trying desperately, but we're having communication issues, i.e. he doesn't answer emails and then goes, oh, I owe you an email. Yeah, <laughs> he does do that, unless you're paying him, and then suddenly he picks up the phone. Um, I, basically I designed this thing that I wanted a wing on the back I wanted which I got this guy called Stuart who does uh, aviation furniture like makes desks out of old Boeing you know mm-hmm. takes uh, jets to pieces and makes things out of them like he's a super upsider so was the the wing just a look or was did, was it supposed no, to have a purpose always, is it downforce drones in. no it's, um, it, I wanted something to launch drones from All right. I wanted it to look functional even though it's not functional it all it does is it, it's a drone hanger so it splits open it's got a linear actuator in it so it splits open and drones fly out of it and then i wanted it to be able to be self-filming so it's got trawler arms so swing out trawler arms that have gopros on and ah. it, because of the wide angle you can basically film the entire side of the truck yeah. from itself um, then there's loads of lights on it so it can film itself at night and it's got weird lighting so that it can light itself up and then we widened the car, but Ralph decided to widen it because I was going to have big arches on it. And then Ralph said, we'll widen it from the inside out. So it's, it's actually flared from the headlights out rather than the edges of the arches. And then it's got a guy called Brad put, because we're childish, we put um, like light conductive plastic in the wheel arches with blue neon lights in. So it's a bit like a hot rod. It's mega and it drives really, really well. But it is, the front tyres are sat like that. Okay. And if anyone else drives it, they'll crash it immediately because it's got a, two, two spare wheels mounted aft of the rear bumper on trays. Oh, right. The bike in the back and the wing. So it's, it's like a 911, an early 911, but with the engine mounted on a six-foot high frame. It's a bit tail waggy. Um, but <laughs> so not, not your typical uh, pickup issues <laughs> no but off road it's amazing because it's got military suspension and massive tyres and it's got a compressor in it so you can air down and then mm. you can put your, put your tyres pressure back up I've been driving it around it's quite extreme for Stamford which is where I'm from I did see a picture in uh, a car park it might have been a train uh, the station or car park Morris. Generally, Morris. Morrison's because yeah, Morrison's and I, I thought, well, yeah, that's you, you'll lose. I think you asked whether if you could spot it, and um, you're not going to lose that anywhere. No, quite big, <laughs> um, but that in fact, Ralph had to engineer that so it'd go in a, um, a shipping container. So, believe it or not, that goes in, apart from the whippy aerials, which has obviously got to be standard. Oh, uh, of course, yeah, it goes in a shipping container, 
the wing goes in. You can't get out of the car. I was going to say, do you climb? Is the back window openable so you can climb? <laughs> so you can't get out of it, but yeah, you can push it in. Um, but yeah, that's on the, that's on the ship to uh, Namibia at the minute, and then we're going to drive the old diamond route, which you have to get special permission for, and then I'm going to try and bicycle up the world's biggest sand dune. As one cool. does. Yeah. As one does. Well, I do. <laughs> I'm not dead yet, Andrew, so it's fine. No, no. You're, you're, yeah. Oh, no. So, uh, talk about your TV, though. Uh, it looks, everything that you do, it looks like you really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I lie. A lot. <laughs> Except for there was one programme that you did with uh, Johnny Smith not so long ago, where you were getting some lunatics in America, and you had teams. Uh, mud, sweat and gears. Yes, yeah, was... and there was—I can't remember what the exact program was, but there was one of them. I think Johnny had cheated, oh, or his team had really... cheated, no. and that there was a—I I know someone who's a facial expression expert, and I'd froze the picture and I sent it to them, and I said, "I'm no expert, but I think he's quite cross." And they went, "Yes, very cross." <laughs> there was a couple of things there. The, the backstory explains why I was so cross. There was, a, there was this thing where we'd been... Basically, they used to put us in a field in the desert and, t- and tell us to, like, re-weld an entire car or make it into a freaking tank or something. And they had one generator. So <laughs> we we couldn't... Like, if you wanted to just grind off a bit of metal or, you know, everything took twice as long. It was twice as hard. And we fixed up these trucks or whatever it was, and we'd finally, after three days of building these... <laughs> got to do this event which was quite good fun and i said the only thing we've got to remember is because he had a rear mounted gun or something don't hit the front of our car because if you hit the front of our car we're finished so do whatever you like but don't hit the front of the car within 10 minutes they'd reversed into the front of the car and smashed the radiator game over and that was why i was so angry because for two days we've been building up to this thing that was the payoff for these people who've been building this car Within 10 minutes, it was all over. Because we're in a desert, you can't get spare parts. Yes. It was like, it was like could we not have avoided just doing that one? Anything else. Literally anything else. And they're like, oh, you're being a really sore loser. I'm like, no, because everyone here has been waiting to film this for three days. And now it's broken. But that's the way. Cars are like that, aren't they? You know, you, hmm. you break stuff. And if you can't fix it, you're stuffed. You know, life is complicated. Uh, usually I can fix things with gaffer tape, but that didn't work. <laughs> no eggs on hand. <laughs> no. Oh, God. But when you, I mean, we'd built those things. And it was, a lot of that was so dangerous. We'd just go into the desert and it was 40 degrees and then we'd set fire to things. Yeah, I, I, there was one with you racing as well and they, um, you had this, was it like a demolition derby thing? Um, but that, it just all looked mental, but it looked great fun. It just looked brilliant fun t- from the, here is the execution of the thing fun bit. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. we don't see the crying and no sleep and no That's food and exactly water it. for many days laughter. beforehand. There's a lot of hysterical laughter. I mean, yeah. the thing is... The I joy love- of television. We get the good stuff. Exactly. <laughs> I, love, I love all of that. I mean, working with Johnny Smith is really good fun. We're, we're really good mates. He only lives down the road, down here. Mm. So, um, you know... We've we've enjoyed working together, and anything like that is is child, childish dreaming, isn't it? You get to go and build things with your mates, and run around fields, and run into each other, and generally not kill each other. 
which is what we'd probably do left to our own devices. <laughs> so somebody in a high vis vest going, uh, chaps, could we just 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 down a little bit, just down yeah. a little bit. Although your football stunt for, I saw a promo. That was really dangerous. That was probably the with the airbags. There was one ball that seemed to nearly clear the stand. Yeah, it did, and it hit it hard as well, and it hit it four stories up. We were basically firing uh, footballs with airbags, but off a twelve volt battery. So with one of you in goal, with one of us in goal, and we basically cut the bottom off the bucket as the as the cannon barrel. So it was basically a football in a bucket, a metal bucket with an airbag at the back, and then you just fire the airbag. And uh, some of them dribbled out at two miles an hour, and then one or two went out at two hundred and twenty. And it will take some of this thing out because the football compresses as it launches. But it fired it. It fired it hard. And if it hit you in the face, it would have broken your nose or your neck. We're not really sure where. But that was I'm good. glad that you didn't find out. Yeah. <laughs> like, goal. I'm going to stand over here. Yes. Neither of us can play football. That's the irony. <laughs> so did you enjoy fifth gear when you were on there? Because, I mean, you, you've said, okay, I can do this. Right, no problem. Off you go then. Basically, yeah. is what's happened. So, um, was it? Uh, do you think there was uh, ignorance is bliss, or no? I just, I just enjoyed doing telly. I mean, telly's not that difficult to do. I think there's uh, people think it's a bit more flash than it is. You know, you spend a lot of time just grinding through TV. There's a lot of hurry up and wait. Um, but I've never, I've never had a problem with doing telly. It's been, it's been really good. It's been really good fun. Met loads of amazing people. You meet loads of people doing it, which is cool. And you get to do stuff that you wouldn't do normally. I mean, nobody ever paid for me to make a tank out of a truck. How dare they not do that? They do pay (laughs) me to do that. Um, But, yeah. Or you find people to do that. Yeah. Or I just, I just, I I will ring the right people. The SAS (laughs) of tank building. And then, obviously, recently, I've ended up doing Top Gear America. And that's been interesting because I think I was unknown enough but they knew that I could physically do it, if you know what I mean. I'm a good enough TV presenter, but nobody really knew who I was. And I think that worked to my advantage. Okay. Because they didn't want a proper, uh, an already known person, but they needed someone proven. So I got a bit of both. I was the unknown known quantity, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so so is that going to follow? Because, I mean, there's three presenters, so uh, format-wise that looks similar to... Uh, our Top Gear is it is the rest of the show very similar in style? Yeah, it's it's Top Gear in America, but with different people. So Bill Fickner is a big uh, Hollywood star who's been in Prison Break and Armageddon and Heat and Go and Drive Angry and usually a baddie. Mean, yeah, usually a baddie, and he's amazing. He's really cool. He's a really nice guy. And Anton Brown, who's the three-time NHRA Top Fuel champion. And, so he knows how to cling onto a steering wheel. Uh, oh Jesus, yes, you know. <laughs> but he's the size of a jockey, so it, that's fine. He's tiny. I always think that's brilliant. Um, and we get on really, really well, which was the hard bit, I think. That's yeah. the hard bit to get right, and we 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 actually do get on really well. But um, Bill's off filming at the minute, and Antron's racing. So we we you know they text me. We text each other every every week, and we don't have to. You know, it's mm. quite nice. And we've been filming the show, and it's been fun, and we're hoping to get another series. And it comes out on the 30th of July, so we're waiting to see how that does now until I find out whether I've got a job still. 
how, how weird is that? <laughs> yeah, hurry up and wait, as you said. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how long did it take you to film that, the series? 12 weeks. 12 weeks. And it's intensive. I got four I days imagine. off, I think. Wow. Yeah, it's not good. Not good. But obviously I'm expensive while I'm in America because they have to pay for me to live and stuff and give me Ritz crackers. So, <laughs> so yeah, they wanted to be Winnebago. Yeah, I did. Oh, I got a Winnebago. <laughs> that you modified. I got, I got a Winnebago. And, oh, cool. And and they, they, like, there was somebody there to get you coffee and everything. I got home and I was like, oh, nobody's got me any coffee in half an hour. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I couldn't wipe my own ass by the time I got back from America. No, but as you say, getting on with your co-host will make it so much easier, particularly if you're in such an intensive, yeah, and intensive thing. So, so they, that, they, that's... they are they are cracking. And I think like Top Gear UK has found that once you've got the right people and you've got the right host, it gets easier. But if you try and jam people into the wrong roles, it doesn't necessarily make it worth watching. Well, no, we, the the audience picks up quickly on that, doesn't it? I think so. Um, but, and you know, as we know, the internet is quite quick to to judge. Is it? <laughs> so I believe. So I believe. I've, I've never encountered that. Being an <laughs> overweight, hairy man on the television, I never got any abuse. <laughs> what I'd like to do is, I want to ask you some of the quickfire questions. Go. And the when I originally came up with these, the idea was that I was not supposed to interrupt. I was gonna. I was gonna. It was meant to be like the actor's studio. They ask these questions and the answer comes out. And from that, we just go, well, that's great. But I can't help myself. I've realized that subconsciously I've written these questions so I can butt in again because I'm a terrible host. But I will start off with what currently excites you about the motoring world. Tech. Okay. So much tech going on and it's all influencing everything. So the tech and the fashion and the... I feel like we've had more aggressive technology in the past four or five years than we have in the past ten. And it's really exciting. You know, we've got stuff coming on stream, especially from Elon's, you know, obsession with doing things now. Um, Tesla, do you know, upsetting the major manufacturers and, you know, fuel cells coming online and everyone's trying to outdo each other with the tech. And it's all in cars. It's all in cars first. And it's wicked. And you have to, you have to pay attention to keep up. So tech, yeah, really big, huge. And you can't wheel the spanner anymore, though, as you say matter i just watch other people do it yeah as they get as they get the laptop out <laughs> yeah well, okay so then what currently worries you about the motoring world uh lack of engagement by kids so there's um for me oh i've been talking to somebody about this the other day but i was talking to some young lads the other day who live in um london and then there was 19 20 something like that they don't have cars not really interested in cars and don't need them and when they mm. do need a car, they do car the car sharing stuff. I think it was Cargo they do. And because they don't require it as a means of accessing freedom because they lived in a big city and cars were expensive and they had nowhere to put them. So what's the point? You know, they, they used Uber and they used car sharing when they used to go and see their mates in Birmingham and that was it. So if the kids stop liking cars and they start seeing them as means of transport we're all screwed for the cool stuff because when we die which won't be that long then <clears throat> you know it's going to car ownership and love is going to get quite niche and that it is it is i think um and talking again mentioning near but talking uh, on the designers round table we we skipped from design to transportation and the future 
and he mentioned about how uh, he could see that it goes from you know you you are transported around in a thing a pod, mm. but then at the weekends, a bit like people who do horse riding, it will be a a hobby yeah. for a few people, uh, and they'll take their two seater sports car somewhere or whatever it is, or their their old and Jeep there'll be a theme park the mountains yeah yeah and yeah, you, you, you can and um you can see why you can see a lot of why the kids don't aren't that interested from the financial point of view. I mean, it's, what is it? It's usually two or three times the cost of a car to get it insured Mm. and things like that. And it's, it's so hard to do. Convenient. You know, who wants to be the designated driver? No, no. You know, it's not like people are living and you can get an Uber out in the, you know, not just in London. Now you can get an Uber pretty much anywhere, you know, and costs are coming down for, for car sharing. So you, it's on demand motoring rather yeah. than ownership. And the trouble is, if you don't own something, you are less invested. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion now that I would rather have something little and light and really super efficient for all the boring <laughs> like going to the airport or commuting to work or to offset a twin-turbo V8 for the weekend. But that's where I'd be going with it, whereas these well, kids aren't interested. Absolutely. I mean, I, for, for, for me, for most of my normal driving which is all quite local an electric car makes perfect sense absolutely perfect it would be um so efficient and easy and you know the the benefits that there are of electric which is the you know, the quiet and the niceness of that uh and then have a or rent a car or have a car like you say for the weekends that would be loud and noisy and smelly and it's silly yeah and use it then so yeah absolutely i i, I totally agree with you on that one uh, so something uh, actually on that point as well that somebody said, uh, I think it was recently on this show, is that because of the internet, people don't need to travel to feel connected as well. They don't need to travel to go yeah, and see their friends. Uh, I mean, it's different if you're in a city, that's easy because you've got transportation. But if you're out in the countryside, you don't necessarily have to drive 20 miles to your mate's house anymore because yeah. you just jump on Skype or FaceTime or you know Twitter or Snapchat, whatever Whatever the young people do these days, I don't know. Well, I think for me, it was because I come from a, a little village in Leicestershire, it was getting away. I could get out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what the Land Rovers were for to get me away and get me to places because my parents had to take me everywhere. So they wanted me to drive mm. because they wanted me to be able to take myself out. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not the same anymore. It's not the same for a lot of pe- people. No, no, not at all. Okay, next one. Okay, I've, I've had a bit of pushback on this question recently and it is a bit of a cliched one like the others aren't uh, but what has been your favorite car to drive and why is that uh i really enjoyed driving a thing called an icon bronco because oh. and a mustang v8 in it with a coyote v8 in it because of the way that the guy built it and the way the guy builds those things and because they're they're just for one person they're completely custom and they're a bit of me, and he describes them as they should be able to be put away wet. So everything's practical. It's highest, highest quality, super practical, super useful. The other stuff, I mean, I, I, I hammered Singer for like three years to drive their 911. I'm not a massive 911 head, um, but after three years, I was the first person ever to drive a Singer Porsche. Well, not oh, that no. they're called Singer Porsches. They're called nine, Porsche 911s reimagined by Singer. But that was pretty special because I've been waiting to do it for a long time. And then it actually was as good as I thought it might be. They do look glorious. 
and they were great. But again, it's a super custom car. Mm. I don't like the idea of spending a load of money on a hypercar and other people having them. I'd rather have something a lot cheaper that's custom built for me that suits something that I need to do. So, you know, icons, singers, stuff like that are where my heart lies. And they've been the ones that have been the most memorable. And those people I still know, you know. So it's all good. Custom things. Yeah. So what's your least favourite then? Oh, it'll be something that didn't do what it was supposed to do at all. Like when Smart first released an electric Smart, as the battery, it was supposed to do 60 miles to a charge. And as the battery depleted, after about 10 miles, it just slowed down. So I was fuel <laughs> so, so to preserve preserve range, it just, it just inhibited its down. performance. So it was doing <laughs> twenty miles an hour on in a smart car on a dual carriageway with trucks going past, and it was dangerous. Was that car so famously got zero zero out of twenty or whatever the time we were doing, and I said, "Look, that's a dangerous machine because you could start a journey, and you are then limited to tw- you know ten or twenty mile an hour on the motorway. That's ridiculous." It, it's, it's not. It doesn't work. So yeah, that was awful. But there's been load cars. I've driven loads. I've loads. I bought a Dually in America with a 7.4 liter V8 in it, and it must have had about 70 horsepower. <laughs> That's quite a skill. To... A whole 70, and I was like, wow, <laughs> that's not a lot. I mean, it was from like 1981, but it was still rubbish. Yeah, but but not all of those had escaped. <laughs> What, there no. wasn't that many to be there. To be... left the gate open somewhere along the line. What car would you like to own next? What car would I like to own? Uh, I'm not particularly avaricious in that kind of stuff. I'd really like a truck. I want, but I want my own truck. I'd like to have a Raptor or a pre-runner, but done to you know specific with less theatre and more practical. So I used to have a Raptor long term, a Hennessy Velociraptor, mm. uh, which I loved, and I would like to have a because if you get the crew cab, I could put all the kids in it. Yeah, and it'd still work, and I could go and do stuff in it. And it's again it meets the criteria of being practical. So yeah, I'd like to have something like a Raptor or a, an Avalanche or something that I could mod. Light bars, light bars, Andrew. Yes, I, I, I was guessing they might be involved somewhere. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite road to drive on? The one I'm on at the time. Oh, okay. Anyway, okay. they're all they're all my favourite roads. I mean, I love. Uh, so it's just driving you like? It's driving. Just the chance Anything to drive. I don't like motorways. They're just they're, they're boring. They are the white good of roads, aren't they? They are there just for a purpose. There is nothing else. And we're they're all trying get to get along as safely as possible to get to our destination, please. Anything else is fine by me. Even town. Towns at night. I like driving around towns at night. That's one thing I really like doing. I haven't done that for ages. Yeah, you need to do yeah. it. Four o'clock in the morning, around around London. That's amazing fun. Not yeah. even fast, just driving around. It's cool. No, I must do that. Okay, then what's the most pointless optional extra you've experienced? Oh, um, that Merck Swarovski crystals in the headlights of the S class. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Um, I, you know, I quite like it, but it's weird. Um, they, <laughs> oh, wonder, I would love to have been in the meeting where that was thought up and they just went of course we need to put crystals in it why I don't know it's luxury isn't it yes. it's like, yeah okay um, and I understand the kind of air freshener built in air fresheners but it's like I could just buy an air freshener 
or keep my car cleaner or stop trumping. Yeah. You know, <laughs> these things that we can all do. We don't have to have a £400 optional air freshener. Uh, yeah, the, however much for the new um, scent to be put in. <laughs> exactly. Another 40 quid. No, I'll buy a can of Glade. Cheers. <laughs> okay, who do you think I should talk to after speaking to you then? Ralph Hosier. Yeah, just get, get hold of Ralph and talk to him and get Dave the Paint on as well. He's a mate of Ralph's because um, Dave does, he does a lot of painting of old, the Goodwood old historic cars. Oh, Dave yeah. Bridges, his name is. But Ralph, uh, Ralph and Rannan, um, who did they, they they're great they i mean they're engineers who kind of get the theater ralph gets the theater of stupidity and then we'll yeah. try to make it work he knows what i'm trying to do but then makes it into an actual engineering thing well i really enjoyed the tv show those two did the... yeah i see i still think they were hemmed in by that do you know oh I mean? yeah i mean i can i can see there was constraints and and there was a, a certain amount of pantomime um, villainy portrayed, yeah. which seemed with a bit the, daft. The guy, um, yeah. who, who we will not name, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're really good. They're really good guys. Ralph, particularly, I've, I've got a lot of time for. So get him on the show, and yeah. um, don't listen to anything he says about me. Okay, I'll try my best then. Just to finally round it out, then, just before I say goodbye and thank you. But what are the best ways for people to follow what you do? Keep in touch with things that you are you can watch the telly in america on bbc america uh, do you uh, i presume it's too early to tell whether that's coming to the uk it is but it should i i suspect it probably will do at some point but um best way to keep up with me is uh is either top gear magazine and topgear.com or uh tom wookie ford on twitter and instagram dead easy to find it's the one with loads of cars in it <laughs> just a giveaway if if it's a load of sort of black dinner jackets and beautiful people, that's that's the other Tom Ford. If it's yes. loads of cars and burnouts, that's me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. I uh, really appreciate it, and it's been I've had a I've had such a blast chatting to you. Uh, I really thanks, appreciate Andrew. that. Um, so uh, thanks very much, and uh, hopefully speak to you again. I've got to go down. I've actually got to go and take a car somewhere. So uh, I'm, actually going, I'm actually leaving that to do a job with a car. It's been lovely to talk to you, man. You take it easy. Thanks a lot. Bye. See ya. Thanks once again to Tom for coming on Rearview and chatting to me. I hope you found our conversation as fascinating as I did. And if you want to suggest someone I should ask to come on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearviewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it in Motoring Podcast Towers. To get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news, opinions and car reviews, go try out the sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. Remember, you can support everything we do at Motoring Podcast in a couple of ways. Please go to motoringpodcast.com forward slash support to see what they are. I would also really appreciate it if you could let others know about the show. I want as many people as possible to hear the stories of the great guests I get to come on here. So until next time, that was Tom Ford. I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.